Abolition. Abolition. Yes, you're listening to ETAP Radio in Rhode Island, exposing the American pie. I'm here with the team taking calls today. I see you, 803. We got a live one from South Carolina. Say what you got to say. Just keep it real and relative without cursing. We are live on the air. No time for rehearsing. Okay, caller, you're on. Yo, this is Max and Pax from the deep South Cac. And I heard you got a program exposing the facts. Dropping jewels we can use to expose these fools. Now, you know I'm a soldier who done paid his dues. A bigger, meaner mugger than the nightly news. I'm an abolitionist, and my mission is to end slavery. There you go. Say it like you feel it. Next caller. Each slice is uneven. It serves to the people. It's not equal. Lack of respect, violence. Legal, the cops beat you. Crooks in high places divide races. Flying into our faces, supplying us with biased information. Psychological tools corrupt our living environment. Pacify the youth and they have a sense of entitlement. Doctors diagnose prescriptions to blind our focus. Dumb us down for a reason, but we too high to notice. Broke community, stress, poverty, less harmony. Sidetracked by the best quality technology. Lawmakers who break laws and neglect policies, it gets bloody. All for the love of money, it's time to raise awareness.
purpose. I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. As always, what's happening, brother Yusuf? Hey, peace, Max. Peace. Peace. I really enjoyed that song. That has me super, super hyped for this week, man. Right? Oh, no. Look what you done started. <laughs> man, yeah, that was pretty cool. I had a lot of fun doing that with my family out in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is a hub for abolitionists, and Jay Chattel is certainly one of our ilk. Uh, him and the brothers that have put it together out there like that. It was fire. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope our listeners also enjoyed it. You'll be able to hear that now on uh, YouTube, on our YouTube page at Abolition Today on YouTube, and also on our Abolition Today on Facebook page. It was scheduled to be released in tandem with its airing at 7 p.m. Uh, last week, we talked about the Eighth Amendment, particularly the alleged prohibiting excessive bail, fines, and fees. We showed how the amendment's protections are another myth for most of America. This week, we'll discuss slavery rebellions, past and present, and especially the reasons for rebellion, which is the only thing worse than the rebellion itself. But before we go into that, uh, let's go ahead and check in with Brother Yusuf. Uh, you know, let us know how your week has been. Hey, man, it's 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 been a roller coaster ride as always. You know, uh, I, you know, first of all, you know, I offer peace and blessings to you, Max, and to our listening audience. I give thanks and praises to the Most High because I uh, completed my 51st circumnavigation around the sun, you know, this past uh, Thursday. So I am now Boy, 51 years know. young. Happy birthday, bro. Hey, thank you, Hey, you know, so that's great, you know, and uh, I'm just thankful for that. I mean, I can't. I can't say any more than that. You know, I'm just thankful to just reach it because we know at any given second, you know, especially being a black person, a black man, you know, where my mere presence becomes a problem, you know, I could be snuffed out in any moment and I could become a hashtag. So I'm just thankful that, you know, in that climate, living under that type of pressure, that I'm still here 51 years later. You know, so I'm grateful for that. No doubt, brother. <laughs> no doubt, man. Happy birthday again. Um, so, yeah, and you finished your classes too, right? Yes and no. <laughs> that's that's going to be an ongoing thing. Well, at least I can say I'm done for now. That I can at least say, as far as I know, I have at least a week off for right now. So, I'll just leave it at that for right now. Maybe within two days, I'll be like, oh, I just got a whole bunch of stuff just dumped on me. And I'll be talking about that more in future episodes because we're dealing with uh, formerly incarcerated individuals and uh, programs that we're creating for them. Or well, I even include myself because I'm formerly incarcerated myself, you know, just not to the level of many of the people that we're dealing with, people coming home with 20, 30, 40, 50 years of incarceration and we have some real good programs that we're establishing for them at Columbia University and other universities around the country. The unsung heroes of the world, man. I tell you, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I want to give also a shout-out today uh, to Sister Kalita Harris. Um, as some may know, this beginning of this year, she released a documentary called No Address, which – uh, I'm a part of that documentary. And her and I go way back to the day that I announced from the Session Live stage 
that I would be becoming an abolitionist full time and putting all of my efforts into that. So she was there the day that that happened. That's how far we go back. And she's also an abolitionist. And her and I uh, recently did an interview where I was the subject of the interview. And she got me, she let me just talk and say some of the things I wanted to say in regards to homelessness and the criminalization of the homeless. And not just the homeless, but also poverty and immigration and various other things. So uh, that was a really good interview. It's actually two parts, and it's available online if anybody want to take a look at it. It's No Address Podcast, uh, com, but we will provide you with a direct link to it either way. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch that no address, and that's one of the things that I'm going to put at the top of my list to take care of this week. Like I said, having some time off, I can catch up on a lot of things, you know, and that's definitely at the top of my list, just checking that out, because we know, and you hit on it, you know, the criminal, when we, when we covered it in the criminalization of poverty, you know, that. We we know what it does to those that are homeless as well. You know, they get hit even harder. And, in fact, someone asked me about the photo that we actually have on our blog talk page, the photo that's up that has the uh, poverty on the left, prison on the right, and it's like a conveyor belt. Someone yeah. had asked me about how can they get a hold of that photo. Um, I got it from a Google search, honestly. <laughs> So uh, I, I, I don't know even who to credit to at this point. I, I, it was a, it, this week it's on there, but I've had it on for like six weeks. And um, I guess I could put it on my page. So if you want to, you can get it from my page at Max Park. Okay. So, uh, go check out hey. my page after the program, and I'll have it up there then. Awesome. Awesome. I do have it in the archives, man. It's been a hell of a week. Uh, just, you know, my head has been spinning with all of this stuff that's going on and watching as this system of slavery and genocide really shows what what it is. <laughs> like right in your face type of showing you what it is. The violence that has been enacted by police against citizens who are exercising their First Amendment rights has been uh, visually unprecedented, you know, uh, and I'm right. reminded, time we get to this point where the National Guard is being called out, the military is about to be called out, and everybody's screaming and yelling about, you know, equal rights or oppression, that it's always us. It's like there's always black people out there. We're the ones, for some reason, that always seems to need the freaking National Guard called out on us. Whenever we want to stand up and protest against and fight back against a system that has been murdering us since the day we got on these shores. It's terrible, man. It's just terrible. And it's also frustrating to watch so many people who don't know what the hell they're talking about are missing massive amounts of information get up there and want to lead the way. It's just it's frustrating, man. It's very frustrating. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, know you probably feel like I do. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was a pretty good article that appeared in the Washington Post this week that actually stated police are reacting to protest against police violence with more violence. You know, and yeah, so (laughs) I don't know what made me just pause there for, I don't know. I don't know what made me pause. Like someone else hit the pause button on me, but it was me. Uh, 
you know, the article just details certain situations of how just in some of the most innocent of situations where, you know, we, we can look at the situation with the, the uh, 75-year-old up in Buffalo, New York, where, you know, the guy is there and, you know, he walks up to the officers and, you know, it's about 40 or 50 of them and he walks up to them and I don't know what he's saying to them, but it definitely wasn't something where you could say, well, he tried to attack them or anything and the officers pushed him, causing his head to be uh, – you know, his head bust open, he's leaking blood all over the sidewalk. And even in that instance, you had the one officer try to bend down to help him, and you could see his supervisor pull him away as if for them to keep marching on. And I was watching Chris Hayes speak on it on uh, MSNBC, and he said, you know, for that one second, you could see that the officer's humanity tried to kick in to where he wanted to go help the person, but because of the machine, the machine had to keep rolling. So he had no choice but to get up and just keep walking away. And so that's what we're seeing, that these officers are operating like a machine, that it, that they, they have no human interaction any longer. And it's something that I'm going to cover uh, later in the program about uh, one, off, one officer's uh, – program that he's trying to establish to take that 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 mindset away from police officers max well we played on air the clip from do not resist we heard the people that are training these policemen telling them to right. go out and commit these acts of violence and then when they go home to have the best sex ever remember that one <laughs> you know oh, you're yeah. like superman you definitely remember you're that. a cowboy mm-hmm uh, yeah, and I'm seeing so many of these as well. These acts of violence by police committed on citizens just exercising their rights. I've seen people with bullet wounds to the head. I've seen them aim and fire at specifically at uh, reporters of color, journalists of color. Um, I, I mean, like, at one point there's an image going around right now where you can see police aiming one of their weapons at a toddler where the toddler is sitting on the brother's back, and, uh, you know, his oldest son. Right. And they've I got to be on point You know, it, 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 right. it's horrible to see this, but it's exposing them, exposing the American pie. It's showing you exactly what you're dealing with. And, you know, there are a lot of arguments going on right now about good cops and even the possibility that there can have, you can have such things as good cops. Personally, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that you can be involved in an evil system and still call yourself good. You can go to church every day right. of the week. You can save a thousand lives a day. You could be like Mother Teresa. But if you're participating in an evil system, then you by default are evil. <laughs> you know, all you got to do is take one life and all the lives you've ever saved don't mean nothing. You're a murderer just like anybody else. So, you know, we're contributing exactly. to the problems here. And, you know, when I hear these, these conversations about good cops, bad cops, I think, I don't ever remember hearing anybody from the Jewish Holocaust have a conversation about who was a good Nazi and who wasn't. I, I don't remember right. that conversation. Nobody has that conversation, but we have it here. So, right. yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm right. At. You never hear that and conversation. You don't hear it. You don't hear that. Nobody in the Congo is saying, you know, 
uh, all those soldiers that were working with King Leopold, they weren't all bad. Some of them were right. good people who were cutting off our arms and killing us and enslaving us. Some of those were good people. That's not how it works. It's a fact that good people can support an evil system. If not, there wouldn't be a Germany. Because Germany is not all evil right. people. It wasn't all evil people in World War II or World War I. But there was certainly enough bad people or good, so-called good people supporting an evil system to commit a global genocide. So, yeah, Absolutely. that's where I'm at on it, man. And it all goes about labels. It all goes about labels, something that I'm going to – I don't want to get a, I don't want to get ahead of myself on this, but when we look at the right. way we label things, see, because if you have a group and you label that group a certain way, and I become a part of that group, then no matter how I conduct myself, because I'm a member of that group, then I'm associated with the label that goes to that group, you know, so. If if you have a terrorist organization and I become a part of that organization, even if I even if my goal is to go in there and to eradicate that or whatever, make whatever changes or whatever ideals that I have when I join, and then I go in and they're still doing everything that they're doing, then I'm I'm a part of that. So yeah, you have guys who you know, start out as little kids, you know, four years old, five years old, saying, hey, I want to be a policeman when I grow up. I want to make a change in my community. I want to do these types of things. But when they get in there and then they just stand there and watch a man get choked to death or watch a man get, you know, his a knee, a knee on him to death or watch, you know, your fellow officer pushing the old man down on the ground or beat, you know, a handcuffed person with a baton you know, all of the things that they watch, and they don't step up and, you know, go against that, then, yeah, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. That's right. And, you know, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you're a part of that system, you're part of a system of slavery. End of conversation. Um, you know, I, I've watched snuff films this week, like literally snuff films where people were murdered on video, and I, I had to watch it to see what's going on. Um, I've listened to... Uh, police captains and chiefs talk about how the killing of George Floyd was justified. And I have rummaged through and read and listened to slavery histories of rebellions for the past 400 years, one after the other, all through this past week. But you know what the one thing that really hurt me the worst to see, Yusuf, it was to Which one was see that? the video, the video that came out from Candace Owens where she was justifying the murder of George Floyd on this video, starting out with saying, I'm not trying to justify the murder, but that's exactly what she was doing, is justifying this, this man's murder. And she was doing it for a paycheck, because that's what white people want to hear. And, and she of said course. at one point that black people are the only people that uplift their lowest, uplift their worst people, and turns them into martyrs. I was, oh, man, that was about the part where I couldn't take it anymore yeah. and I had to shut it down. Right, to because make it about something. I didn't, even, I didn't even watch it. And, you know, if I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to have to force myself to watch some of the things that I know that I just don't want to watch. Right. You know, so, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's like, yeah, 
Tommy Lauren and uh, some of the other. I just can't listen to them, but I'm going to have to start forcing myself to listen to them. You keep your enemies closer. You have to you have to right. pay attention to what they're planning and doing and saying because uh, we've got to be ready to counter these things. Yeah, because so I already that, know what you know, she's going to say. We're lifting the worst of our people up in the martyrdom. We always do that. We're unique in that. We're the only people who does that. And I'm sitting here with a few dollars laying on my table with pictures of freaking slave catchers on them, child molesters, mm-hmm. and pedophiles. I'm the freaking money. Listen to her talk about how we're the only ones that lift up the worst of the worst. The entire selection of presidents you got is the worst of the worst. Right. Oh my God. And, 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 and the way to get yeah, rid of that ahead. is, yeah, I was going to say, you know, if, if she sees that as an issue, the way to get rid of it is to end the police violence. Then if mm. someone is considered the lowest of the lower in her mind, we wouldn't even be speaking about them. We wouldn't have a reason to because they wouldn't be getting gunned down in the street or choked out in the street, you know, on snuff films and hashtags and everything. But it doesn't matter if it's the worst in her eyes. I mean, what about the ones that they love to go to? You know, they love to call that they love to call out or what they consider someone who's someone that should be uplifted. I mean, look at Philando Castile. You know, law-abiding citizen, loved by his community, loved by his employer at the school, loved by everybody, lawful gun owner. Didn't stop him from getting killed. They're not trying to hear that, man. It's like I had to tell a friend today. Sometimes you just got to leave crazy alone because people ain't even talking out their mouth. They're talking out another end, and it makes no damn sense at all. And all it is is offensive and evil and and denigrating, And, and you can't add logic to it. You can't look at it and go, okay, I understand, because there is nothing to understand. It's lunacy. It's insanity. Right. And she is the type of person who betrayed Denmark Vesey, and that's why they were all slaughtered. She is the type of person who betrayed uh, Gabriel Union, she, uh, Gabriel Prosser, rather. She, she is the, right. the people that, because, this is why I didn't really want to do anything about slave rebellions, bro. As I said last week, I've studied the slave rebellions week after week after week, and the thing that made me stop studying them is because I got tired of seeing every single mm-hmm. one of the betrayed from the people who were part of that community. Every single the common time. denominator. Whether were, yeah, whether they were doing it for meritorious manumission or just a pat on the head, it was the same story over and over again. Nat Turner, Frederick Douglass, Harriet, all of them, every one of them, any revolution we've ever tried to never was completely successful because of betrayers. Even Haiti, Haiti in the mulattoes, man. You know, right? <laughs> Even the Civil War. That's how it always yeah. ends. It's, it's, al- it's always the betrayal. It's always, it's always the, betrayal. the betrayal. Every single movement. So you know, that's one of the things where. I'm not really interested in full unity. I don't want unity with some of these people. I don't want them nowhere near me or anything I'm doing at all. I would rather walk with the few than have the many following me. That's where I'm at. So, you know, what I want to do, Yusuf, is let's kind of 
encapsulate what we're talking about here with a clip that I chose for this week. Um, after you okay. know, reviewing all these different discussions, I think my man uh, Mark Lamont Hill nailed it. Uh, he, as you know and have heard, is an abolitionist himself who is very well versed on the 13th Amendment, modern-day slavery, and convict leasing, and has given discussions on those things. So let's listen to Mark Lamont Hill uh, explain why these are not riots. These are rebellions. So we rebel so you can feel our pain. We rebel so you can understand that enough is enough. We tried sitting in. We tried chanting. We tried singing. We tried rapping. We tried hashtags. We ran marathons so you'd listen to us. And you don't listen until you feel some of this pain. On Monday, May 25th, George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police. He was unarmed and he wasn't resisting arrest. Ever since that moment, the city has been up in arms. There have been protests that have gotten more and more intense over the days. The most recent protests have been so intense that a target caught on fire, that things were destroyed, and the media and citizens are saying, why are these people rioting? Well, I'm going to tell you why. First of all, these are not riots. Riots are irrational, they're random, they're just brutal acts of violence with no rhyme or reason, with no purpose. These are rebellions. Rebellions are organized acts of resistance against an unjust system. What's happening in Minneapolis is no different than what happened in Detroit in 1967, what happened in L.A. in 1992, what happened in Ferguson in 2014. What's happening is people who have finally said, we have had enough and we are going to do something about it. People say, well, why now? Because we're tired. Black death happens every day. If black folk rebelled every time something happened that should not happen, we'd be rebelling all day. But we don't do that. But there comes a point where you've had enough. And right now we're at a moment where we can't turn on the television, we can't go to social media without seeing somebody who looks like us put down like a dog killed by the state, killed by random white citizens, just because we're committing the crime of being black and outside. We're tired of it. We're tired of being one phone call away from a disgruntled white woman with an unleashed dog from being sent to a lynching. We're tired. We're tired. And the problem is, y'all don't listen until we do something. Martin Luther King said, the riot is the language of the unheard. Well, these rebellions are the language of the unheard. This system does not listen to black death. Black death is ordinary. Black death is common. No other race is on the news or on social media getting killed day after day after day without any warning. Only black folk. So the reason why we have to do this is to get the nation's attention. And how do you get the nation's attention? By damaging their property and by making them feel as unsafe as we feel every single day. Now that's not to say we should go around killing people. That's not to say we should just burn stuff up just to burn it down. But every once in a while, we have to make our voices heard. We have to make our pain known. And sometimes that means stopping a cog in the wheel of capitalism. Sometimes that means shutting down a target. Sometimes that means stopping the status quo. And people say, oh my God, they're looting, they're stealing. That's the same outrage we feel by exploitative business. That's the same outrage we feel when a government is willing to open up the country as soon as they realize there's only black folk dying. The same unsafety and vulnerability that y'all are feeling right now, we feel every day. So we rebel so you can feel our pain. 
We rebel so you can understand that enough is enough. We tried sitting in. We tried chanting. We tried singing. We tried rapping. We tried hashtags. We ran marathons so you'd listen to us. And you don't listen until you feel some of this pain. People are saying, well, you're destroying your own neighborhood. Look how irrational these people are. Again, stop framing black people as irrational. We're not destroying our own neighborhood. That target might be in the hood, but we don't own it. Those businesses might be in our neighborhoods, but we don't have a financial stake in them. The truth is, our neighborhoods have been occupied and, and colonized since we've been here. So when we are pushing back and burning stuff down, and when we are destroying things, it's not because we don't have a plan. It's because y'all haven't listened to plan A or plan B or plan C or plan D. So by the time we get to this stage, this is all we have left. So if you want there not to be rebellions, if you don't want to see these cities on fire, then listen to us when we tell you we're in pain. Listen to us when we tell you we're vulnerable. Listen to us when we tell you we're unsafe. Listen to us when we tell you, America, you've got to do something different. Because if you don't, everybody's going to experience what it's like to be in America. Everybody's going to experience what it's like to be a nigger in America. That's what he said. They bleeded it out, but I said it out loud. Yusuf? Right. He hit it right there. He hit the nail on the head right there, man. And that's what this is all about. And even uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who, in my opinion, is the real goat, you know, now that Muhammad Ali is no longer with us, I give, it's like that baton should be rightfully passed to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he actually did an op-ed in the uh, L.A. Times this past, uh, or he did it on May 30th. It's called Don't Understand the Protest. What you're seeing is people push to the edge. And he said what uh, Mark Lamont Hill said, just a little more eloquently, but he said the same exact thing, you know, that people are just worried about the wrong stuff. You know, everything is about, you know, property. They're not talking about lives. You know, so he breaks it down in his in his in his opinion column. <laughs> you know, I was even surprised that he even he referenced the Karen. You know, that he even used the term Karen. You know, so he even says that we're gonna see more of this. Until something is actually done about it, it's gonna get Stronger and stronger. So yeah, I, I I really appreciate what what Mark Lamont Hill said because I think that's how most of us feel, right there with that same amount of rage, even for those who don't even say it out loud. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's why I said I, I thought he really uh, brought it all together about you know what we're feeling at this moment, and uh, you know it, it's as if. Our feelings of this way and our final resorts of rising up against the system only enrages them further. And that's how it's always been with any rebellion. Um, it's what happens after the rebellion is the most horrible part. You know, with this one right, right. here, you can expect that with all these cameras that they got on, with the facial recognition, with everything that's happening, there's going to be thousands of people going to prison when the smoke clears. They know your name by now. They know your faces. They know your houses, everything, man. They see your license plate. If you think you're going to get away with it, you are probably not. 
And they're just not rounding everybody up right now because they're collecting their data and their information. They may even have your phones tapped now so they can find out where you're getting your information from. But, you know, you're not really going to get away with it at this point. This is where we're at, technologically speaking. And i also like to say one other thing, too. Uh, tonight, we want to hear from you. So at any point, if you want to join the conversation, except, of course, when one of the chats are playing, just uh, press number one on your phone. And in order to press number one, you have to have the number, 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. Just dial that number and then press one and put your hand up so we know that you want to talk. We're hoping our brother uh, will call him from Angola prison today. I've been speaking with him now for weeks, trying to get him on air. But, you know, it's not an easy thing to do when you're enslaved in a cage. Right. You know, Max, uh, what you just said really hits the nail on the head. With with where my mindset was when I first said, well, hey, we should do uh, slavery rebellions, but not even, I wasn't really even thinking about the historical ones because I had the same feeling that you had, that everyone in then, you know, some person on the inside destroying the rebellion, but you just really touched on something really big, and you know I have a whole bunch of articles that I that, that we're gonna post up on our page, where if we look at Ferguson, hold on, I want to get the title of the, the the one article that I wanted to mention first. Okay, well, I can't find the exact article I wanted to start with, but we saw a criminalization of black protests, and we know what happened with COINTELPRO. We can go back and look at how they use the media for COINTELPRO, and they put that label of being extremists. And so that was the first thing, one of the first things they did was make this label of this black identity extremist. See, you have to criminalize the people first before you can go after them. So that's what they did. Let's put this label, extremist. And then you look at that word in today's climate, when we look at, you know, the so-called war on terror and all of these things, we know that one of the main things that they push all the time is extremism, extremism. That's a, you know, a, a code word that's saying that these group of people are going to be killing white people. That's what they really mean when you peel back the onion on everything. So you label them with this label that criminalizes them. Then what you just said, what you said you know, you're going to see them rounding up people and arresting them. Well, look what happened after Ferguson. Look how many of the organizers from the front line wound up dying, Max. Shot in the head you know, and then in a car, burnt to death. Yeah, and so I have the articles of all of them because, you know, we definitely need to keep these brothers in mind. You know, like when we – there's one article from the Chicago Tribune entitled A Puzzling Number of Men Tied to the Ferguson Protests Have Since Died. And the first one, you know, I mentioned is uh, Edward Crawford, Jr. He's most notably known from 
that photo of the person who had on the American flag T-shirt, and you can see his, uh, you know, his locks behind him, and he has his arm cocked back, and he's getting ready to throw back a, a tear gas canister at police. Well, he wound up dying, you know, a few days later, supposedly of uh, of a suicide somehow inside of a inside of a, a torched car. Then there's uh, Donye Jones. Donye Jones is the young gentleman who was found hung. I don't know if you recall that one, but he was found hung, and they were claiming it was a suicide. And that's the article Ferguson protester said her son was lynched. Here's what Missouri police say. You know, and it's it's a couple of uh, audio clips within the – article that people can listen to and you know and the mother said you know she could tell right away that her son was lynched you know when she saw you know it wasn't bed sheets that they owned and just from from where you know the brother was was killed you could tell that a person couldn't do it on their own it would have been impossible for someone to do it on their own then you have uh Darren Seals. Darren Seals uh, was shot six times, you know, and they, you know, of course they say, oh, he was known for running with the wrong crowd and all of these things, but he was a prominent anti-violence advocate and the co-founder of uh, Hands Up United, which was an activist collective uh, that was formed after Mike Brown was killed. So he wound he wound up dying in questionable deaths, and of course there were no arrests or anything of that nature. Uh, DeAndre Joshua, the twenty year old from Ferguson, you know he uh, worked the night shift at Walmart, and he was a close friend of uh, Dorian Johnson, who was the person that was with Mike Brown when he got killed. But again. Uh, Dorian, uh, I'm sorry, DeAndre Joshua, you know, was shot up several times. They said some 60 bullet shell casings were found near his body, you know, just drastically murdered. Then you have, uh, man, you have to excuse me because it's like just just reporting this stuff, man. It's just, it, it, it wears, you know, it wears on you. You understand, Max? Without a doubt, brother, I understand. Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, it's like just going through these names. I mean, and then uh, Marshawn McCarroll. Remember the brother out of, uh, not Columbus, but somewhere near Columbus. You know, and uh, supposedly, yeah, that's that's the one from, from Ohio and, and they claim that he shot himself on the Ohio State House steps and saying that, you know, supposedly at the uh, the post saying, my demons won today, I'm sorry. You know, but of course, everyone who knows him, they're like, nah, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. People aren't buying it. Although I did post one article because when you're involved in this movement, it does wear you down. It really does wear you down. And there's one good article 
that I found in the New York Times. The title of the article is called The Push. Uh, they push, they protest, and many activists privately suffer as a result. And it deals with some of the things that, you know, being an activist, you know, that you that you wear, that wears on you, like behind closed doors. You know, so, I mean, I know you go through it as well, Max, but I know just how I feel going into a show and coming out of a show and all of the things that happen during, you know, during the week. And you're like, wow, why are not more people catching on to this when we're laying it out piece by piece or they're seeing it on their TVs every single day or in their neighborhoods every single day, you know, and a lot of people are living in fear and then now people are being labeled and, you know, those that are getting involved are being killed, you know, just, just the same as, as happened, you know, on the plantations, you know, anyone who, who, was was against whatever the program was, they would have to beat them or kill them in front of the others so to get them not wanting to be involved. And so it just wears on you because you're like, look, people may look at this as just you and I just talking to each other on Sundays, man, but they don't realize, you know, we're we're putting our lives on the line. Just like People that are walking with the bullhorns at protests, they're putting their lives on the line. It's not just someone out there just barking into a bullhorn or someone holding up a sign. You know, you're really putting your life on the line, and so it wears on you. So I I definitely understand, but I still don't buy it as saying uh, people were actually uh, committing suicide, not the way these happened, you know, because we know how they do. They, we, we know. I mean, hell, they killed the president, <laughs> you know, and made it look like one person did it. So we know how these things go. But it's a couple of other articles that I, you know, encourage people to uh, read. Uh, one about the activist Rakeem uh, Bulligan, the uh, Dallas activist who they tried. They actually not only did they label him a black identity extremist, but they actually tried to take him to court for it and take him to trial for it. You know, but there's also the article where it says the government prosecution of a black identity extremist fell apart. Meanwhile, white supremacists are on the march. And that's from 2018. So we can see how things have progressed since then. But, you know, going to our title, the criminalization of protest, that's how they're doing it. They're labeling people. They're labeling people. Then you have a president talking about uh, sending out thousands and thousands upon thousands of troops, you know, out to establish law and order, as he says. So, you know, he's been dying to have this, uh, this military presence on the streets. That's just something that he's always wanted because that's some stuff going on in his head, you know, that he needs to make himself feel important. You know, here he is, he's in the most important position in the world and he still doesn't feel important, you know, because there's something going on with him. But getting back to where I was, Matt, because you can see I'm ranting, there's a lot of stuff going on in my head this week. 
uh, all of the articles will be up. You know, I wanted to talk about the First Amendment itself, you know, just in reading it. <coughs> sorry. For those who've never read the Constitution or have never read the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, of the right of the pe- people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So that's what it says on, on paper. You know, the right to assemble allows people to gather for peaceful and lawful purposes and also the right to association and belief. And the Supreme Court has said that uh, this right and freedom of association and belief is established in the First, Fifth, and Fourteenth Amendments. And it's also recognized as a human right under Article 20 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights which was established in the UN General Assembly in December of 1948. So on paper, everything sounds good. You have a right to protest. You have a right to assemble. You have a right to this as a human right. But what we're seeing play out is that you don't have a right to do this, and it's becoming more and more criminal, and they have these agent provocateurs who are actually coming in and stirring, oh, sorry about that. That are actually stirring up things to change the narrative, because what we saw is here the people were protesting, and it started and it happens over and over. It starts out about why the people are protesting, and then it becomes about property damage, about looting, about stealing, about burning down things, and it's no longer about why the people are out there. And that's why I call them agents provocateur because, yeah, I believe that, you know, many of these groups like Koch and Alec are actually paying people to actually go out there and do that. And then there are also people that really have a problem with the government that are out there doing it as well. So that's where I am on this, Max. Thank you, brother. I appreciate all this. calling all those names out. Uh probably the first time anybody's ever put those names all together under this particular story, because it's true. Many of the leaders of the Ferguson movement were murdered after that. It's like, they're going to do it to you again this time, because you don't know what you're dealing with. You have to really put it in perspective. You know, you think it's some kind of unjust system or broken system. This is a system of slavery and human trafficking. And as I say, every week on the program, Everything you expect to happen in a system of slavery and human trafficking is happening in a system of slavery and human trafficking. And, you know, we pointed the fingers at some of the uh, slavery overlords, uh, including Alec, who we've shown is writing our laws throughout the United States. They have literally uh, privatized legislation. Uh, So some of the laws that they've been pushing out are are mind-blowing. I got a couple of lists here that I want to go over real quick, and then we'll take our music break. But remember, we want to hear from you, so if you want to, uh, you have something you want to say or offer, uh, just call us and press 1. But this one comes from First Amendment Watch, where they were saying that back in 2017, six states passed laws limiting freedom of assembly. 
And those states were Arkansas, Georgia, North Dakota, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. Uh, they enacted legislation that was criticized having a chilling effect on demonstrations. And Virginia passed a bill to criminalize anti-police protests. Uh, but Governor Terry uh, Mikolas also did point out what happened after Charleston, where they put this new bill out that would protect drivers who hit protesters. And we've seen that in this uh, march and these rebellions right now where we, everybody in the world has seen it, police driving through protesters on purpose, uh, even inspiring the regular citizen to do it. Where well, we saw a big-ass 18-wheel truck, chemical truck, come barreling into right. protesters on the highway. And there's a photo that's on our page from a police chief. And I don't have the photo in front of me, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. But it basically had a picture of a car running people over in a cartoonish fashion, fashion and saying, nobody gives a damn about your protest. Get out the street. And then it says, to scoff at black people in particular, uh, black lives splatter. That's what the sheriff said on a freaking fire department wow. chief that publicly took this picture to make this statement. So, you know, these bills came out where now they're trying to uh, criminalize and police protests, which is what we're having right now. And there's a site that I found uh, called the U.S. Protest Law Tracker, ICNL, and they put together mm-hmm. a well uh a constructed map of all the states that have been enacting legislation that is uh, contrary to our rights as citizens to gather and protest. And I'm going to read some of them to you right now, just basically. On a U.S. federal level, the Executive Order 13809, giving riot gear and other military equipment to local police. And then, also federally, the DOT legislative proposal, new federal criminal penalties, for protesters near pipelines. Then, again, federal, uh, H.R. 6054, harsh penalties for protesters who conceal their identity. So in the middle of a pandemic, with everybody wearing masks, you are liable now uh, for charges because you're concealing your identity. In Alabama, they had SB 45. It was new penalties for protests near gas and oil pipelines. Also in Alabama, they gave, uh, have one where it says felony charges for disruptive protesters. What the hell does that mean, disruptive protesters? In Alaska, it's HB 295, mandatory sanctions for campus protesters. In Arizona, SB 1033, felony penalty for protesters who conceal their identity. Arizona, again, SB 1142, expanded definition of riot. So they've expanded the definition of riot. HB 2007 in Arizona, harsh penalties for protesters who conceal their identity. Apparently, that's a big problem nationwide. They want to be able to get you under this facial recognition, and if you don't let them, that's a penalty. Arkansas has HB 1578, expanded civil liability for those who incite a riot, and criminal penalties for obstructing first responders. So if you're marching down the road or you marched across a highway, you are now uh, liable to a felony charge for blocking the highway. Uh, Arkansas heightened penalties for protests that block roads. That was HB 1898. It clarifies it right there. Uh, this I'm just in the A's, y'all. 
And this thing goes on forever and ever for every state all across the country, like in Missouri. HB 2045, expanded definition for unlawful assembly and new penalties for protesters who block traffic. Anything we do in order to bring attention to this circumstance has been criminalized state by state all across the country. And what does that mean, it's been criminalized? It means they found a new way to make money on your ass and put you in prison. (laughs) How to get rid of your Mm -hmm. leaders, how to... uh, make your organizations crumble because they've got all your people in jails and prisons in there for that. So it's, it's yeah, we're basically at a point now, where, as we showed with the Sixth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment, where the First Amendment is gone. It's just about gone. It, they only let you do certain things because they will come down on you with a curfew or they'll come on you with an unlawful assembly charge or anything they want to do in order to disrupt your protest. And they won't just do it nicely. As we've seen, they will shoot you in the freaking head with rubber bullets. They will beat you with the baton. They will break your cars. They will slash your tires. They will slash up bottles of water at uh, stations set up for protesters. All of that is what these slave catchers will do. You see? Yeah. You, 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 you got it, Max. You know, one uh, one that I forgot to mention or I neglected to mention was uh, the Wisconsin governor signing the ALEC-inspired bill to criminalize protests, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. And I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the, uh, the one that you just mentioned, that website. Can you, can you say that website again? Because I also had that link up, but I... Didn't get into it's it I once see, I saw it, that you had it. ICNL.org. ICNL.org. Yes. Uh, and it's U.S. Yeah, protest law tracker. And, you know, people can also look at that, and not only do they see, you know, with the law of state, they can see the penalties that come with it, you know, and the fines that come along with it, all the things that we've been covering, you know, that how it's that, just this whole loop, this loop that they've created to where they can, you know, if they're not going to arrest you, they're going to sign a fine. If you can't afford to pay the fine, they're going to incarcerate you. You know, it just keeps going on and on and on in this big cycle. And it's going to get worse as time goes on because we see what's happening. We see their response to it. There's uh, I I, I uh, neglected to mention one other person for Ferguson, and that's uh, Basim Masri. You know the uh, Palestinian brother. He was a Palestinian activist, but he was also part of the Ferguson protest, and he mysteriously was on the bus, and he died, and supposedly he had uh, overdosed on fentanyl. You know, he died riding the bus. So I also will have that up as well. But, yeah, this criminalization of protests. And when it comes to certain people, and that can be understood to be blacks, Hispanics, you know, poor whites, natives, or, and, and you know, just anyone that is not part of the government structure, that when we say criminalization, 
criminalization also includes death, as we're seeing time and time again, because people are receiving death sentences on the streets from police officers. George Floyd received a death sentence. You know, Eric Garner received a death sentence. You know, and we the list would go on and on and on and on. Yep. I'm sorry, say it again, Max. I said Lawrence Myers received a death sentence. Yeah. Tamir Rice, death sentence. You know, so well, you know, I, I do want to offer some hope and say that that it doesn't always stay this way. That freedom comes sooner or later. It happens. We rise up, and freedom comes. So you got to have some hope. It's not going to be like this forever. And you can see the changes in people's hearts and minds occurring. Hey, Yusuf, I want to play uh, our music break. But before I play that, uh, I want to play a short clip, and then I want to play our music break. Uh, we could talk about it all after we come back on the other side. But I think people need to hear, first of all, a call that came across the New York Police Department's radio transmitter. Um, I'm not even going to describe it, but you just need to hear it, and then it'll be in your head and you know. And after that, we're going to hear a Max Mix with the We Charge Genocide group, the young activists of We Charge Genocide speaking on the issue, followed by Donnie Hathaway's Someday We'll All Be Free. So here you go. So we have a group of people blocking traffic on Albany and Dean Street. They're refusing to let the RMP go eastbound on Dean Street and Albany. So we're stuck here. Run them over. Shoot those motherfuckers. Don't put that over here. Abolition. Abolition. Today. We are always unsafe living in our skin in this country. It's a permanent condition. Our people are stopped, we are frisked, we are criminalized, we are targeted, we are invaded, we are jailed, and we are killed. The machine grinds on, and we struggle to identify one culprit, one officer, one bad apple, but there isn't just one. So many of us are afraid to speak the word. We are afraid to lay claim to it. It's too awful to believe. No, no, no. It seems too conspiratorial, too pessimistic, too alienating, too something. Yet there it is on the forefront of our minds and at the tip of our tongues. When we are feeling brave and safe among those we love and trust, we sometimes whisper the word. Genocide. 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 Genocide.
Donnie Hathaway, take it from me, someday we'll all be free. Hey, I just want to say 770-284, we see you, your hand up, and we're going to bring you in in a second. Uh, Before I get to that, I just want to give my brother Yusuf an opportunity to comment on the things you just heard. You know, not surprising with the clip from the NYPD, not surprising at all, and Donnie was right on time, man. As always, yeah. as always, you know, we sometimes don't really realize what we were blessed with when we listen to people like Donnie Hathaway and Gil Scott Heron and The Last Poets. We were just blessed, man. And that's why, you know, I tell you so much how much I love and appreciate you, man, because, you know, you're, you're them, you know, being the poet, you know, you are a descendant of that creative genius. So, yeah, I tell you all the time, man, that you're loved and appreciated for real, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that indeed. But, you know, 
when I look at myself, I don't see those things. I always see somebody who is never going to be as good as, but I'm here, and I understand that. I'm I'm here right now, and I'm willing, and that is enough, I think, uh, to be able to make change. I, I may never be able to do the things my ancestors and our ancestors have done, but I can make a difference, and I will make a difference. And with that being said, I bet you we got another difference maker on the line. Seven seven zero two eight four. You are live on the air on Abolition Today with Max Parker from Use of the Song. What's up? Who are we speaking to? Seven seven zero two eight four. That's you on the line. Can you hear us? You might be muted. All right, we're gonna try one more time. Seven seven zero two eight four. Check and see if you're muted. Uh, and we got you live on the air. If you can unmute yourself. All right, looks like he switched lines, so maybe he got disconnected. Here we go. Seven seven zero two eight four. You're on new ab- on abolition today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parkes. Uh What's your name? Where are you calling from? And what are your comments or questions? Peace. This is Palmetto Star, the Ratchet Revolutionary. Hey. What's going on, Max? What's going on? What's going on, people? How y'all peace, doing? Brother, hey, peace, brother. Peace. Welcome. Good to hear your voice, man. Oh, likewise, likewise. I just love the um the the content that you guys are going over. Um, it's a crazy time to be alive. You know, I just want to encourage all of my people to um go forward and realize that the you know, Chateau slavery is still here, is in the prison and now is the best time more than ever for us to really free um everybody. You know what I'm saying? So is is this is the time for abolitionists and the time for revolutionaries to push forward and have no fear in their in their um pursuits. Take so, the hill or die, right? I definitely <laughs> take the hill or die. No doubt, Paul Mello. Yeah, that that is, is the time we're in. Take the hill or die. We have to take this to its ultimate conclusion. Yes. Yeah, right now this is the time to push it forward to 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 the maximum. You know what I'm saying? Forgive the pun, but to the max. You know, right? Hey, let me ask you a question for a minute. <laughs> and this is the question that somebody yeah. asked me recently: What do you think of the sign, the Black Lives Matter sign, that was put on the streets of Washington D.C.? What do you think of it? Of the the street sign? Yeah, where they put it across the road. Oh, you talking about the street sign? Black Lives Matter. Yes. Well, this is my thoughts on it. Um, as you know, I've been I, I've been active in the in the in the movement. Um, I in Atlanta out here, I was there on the first meeting of of the um, of um, the Black Lives Matters organization that was here. You know what I'm saying? And they. Um, they had courted me for a long time to become leadership there, um, but when they found out, you know, I wasn't um, of their, let's say, sexual orientation, they they um, mm-hmm. sort of backed away from that. Um, so, to me, the the Black Lives Matter sign. I'm just wondering. Where the hell did Black Lives Matter come back from? Like they were, <laughs> they came back from <laughs> almost obscurity from 2016. They died. They 
they're coming back from the dead, basically. From 2016, now they're just popping up in all these mainstream mayonnaise media outlets and getting talked about over and over again. I'm like, where did you guys come? I mean, I was I was there and I seen them disappear in 2016, and now they're back. I'm just nationwide in full force. So, so I'm very um um suspect of the of the uh, of that organization per se you know what i'm saying and i've seen because i've seen the inside and it it is very is very shady you know what i'm saying they definitely get mm-hmm. their funding from uh, big political sources you know what i'm saying and things of that nature and mm-hmm. I, I this is coming from somebody actually been in there and seen it you know what i'm saying so um i mean i don't know i mean to me it's a sign. It's a all of this stuff is a progressive sign, um, and you know a lot of times when you know the people are, um, but it's just symbolic. You know what I'm saying? A lot a lot of this stuff they're doing symbolically, so that they don't have to deal with the real issues. Okay, we got a sign. So what? People are still in jail for time bag. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my yeah. So that that's my that's my opinion on it. It's just it's it's more or less more symbolic than it is of a, of actual real change. Okay, we got to sign. Okay, I mean, and we got to look past that. Okay, we had a black president. Okay, we got to look past the symbolism and get to right. um dealing with real issues. Real issues, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, I so that, that out recently. Yeah, that, that's that's that my in, point. I pointed out recently that in D.C where black people make up half the population, the incarceration rates per 100,000 are for every one white person that is incarcerated in Washington, D.C., there are 19 black people being incarcerated. That's a real issue right there that needs to be dealt with. Symbolism is not going to solve that problem. Are you going to put the same message on the floors in the prisons? Because that's where it's being shown that black lives don't matter. And the floors in the prisons. Uh, so, I, right, the symbolism thing, uh, at least on our end, has got to be toned down. And also, you got to remember this. Malcolm warned us about uh, black leaders who get these awards and accolades from white media and then be presented as the leadership or the voice of the people. It's not our choices. It's their choices that they're putting up all across the news media and TVs everywhere. What is the alternative that they can start calling it the slavery abolitionist movement? That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so they're gonna go with what's familiar and what they can deal with. And as you said, they haven't been active really on any real scale now for some years. So here we are. Boom. Let's right. go with the people we know. That's how they did it. Yeah. You, you know, they always need to put a they always need to put a label on something. And like you just said, Max, that they can that they can control, you know, because they can't deal with a situation where because I remember when the Mike Brown situation first happened mm-hmm. and it was just a large yeah. gathering and the news media kept saying, Who are the leaders? Who are the leaders? Like almost every reporter kept saying, Who are the leaders? Because they need to identify somebody and so they can start controlling the narrative. So you put someone out front and they say, okay, you know, they're going to dig up the background of the person because they want to delegitimize a movement. 
So the first thing they do is find out who the leader is so they can attack him and say, see, this is why you don't need to be following this person. And we know they've done that with every movement. And so they need a movement that's going to be more kumbaya-ish, you know, to where they want you just singing songs or chanting little slogans. They don't want, you know, people to be unled. So they need to control the leadership. We've seen that this is, and it goes all the way back to what you and I were talking about earlier, Max, of how, you know, every movement is always destroyed from within, you know, because they need someone there that's con- that has the voice inside that can say, well, we need this, we need to do this, and they want to t- take it in another direction, and and I believe that's what Palmetto Star is mentioning that, you know. Because he was part of that movement, he knows firsthand what was going on. And I guess you're saying that what they're being portrayed as, that's not who they are. Is that am I understanding that correctly, brother? Paul Meadow, you still there? Yeah, he probably muted himself. Uh, did we lose him again? Did we no, lose him again? No, he's on the line. He oh, brother, muted. you have to oh, unmute yourself. Or he may be having a phone issue again. Yeah, he might have stepped away from the phone for a second. You know, he's got a new baby now in, the, in his family, and uh, that takes a lot of time during the pandemic, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, in the, yeah. For the time being, I'm going to leave his, his mic open. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a problem. Yeah, hopefully man. comes back because that's that's something I've been wanting to know for the longest. I mean, I know the narrative behind them as far as they started up, you know, when uh, Trayvon Martin had gotten murdered, and it was sort of their their push. But then when I look at their ten point program that they put out, and yeah, the brother hit it right in the beginning when he first started talking that it's something else and we know how other groups like to tack on and try to take over you know certain movements that again change the narrative change it through the press but also change it from within you know because I mean hands up don't shoot I mean that's cute and all (laughs) <laughs> you know, cute little slogan, right. hands up, don't shoot, but they're still shooting. Well, they're still I, choking. I well, to me, I've worked well, we with got him back now, I've worked with multiple Black Lives Matter organizations and leaderships. One of my mentees, Muyadin Debaha, was the leader of Black Lives Matter in Charleston, South Carolina. The brother was murdered. Um, and he right. was also an abolitionist. And I worked with uh, the Black Lives Matter group in Columbia, South Carolina, and Asheville, South Carolina, a uh, number of them, all leaders. And there's one thing I can tell you that I know for sure. None of them were taking directions mm-hmm. from any home office. They were all working independently, all of them. Uh, they saw this as a movement that had no leadership. And because of that is what made it successful. So they acted independently and individually, and they all had, not all, but many of them had different opinions on how things should get done. They didn't all agree on that. But none of them that I knew of were taking any orders 
from any main office, and none of them that I knew of was really getting any money from any main office that was collecting millions and millions of dollars. Okay. Now you just said, you answered my question, Max. And is that your position as well, uh, Brother Paul Metal Star? Oh, I mean, well, okay. Well, I would, okay. What happened here in Atlanta was they had a main um, Black Lives Matters organization, and then they had a, a, a one that sort of like splintered off from that because of the whole uh, gay rights thing. You know what I'm saying? They didn't want to focus on gay rights. They wanted to focus more or less on the actual issues. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, black people getting killed and they're gay, that's an issue too, but the Black Lives Matter organization here, um, the main one was focused on um, on that. And, you know, both, it was basically focused on, you know, gays and um, homosexuality and stuff like that, you know. Um, one thing that I, I loved about that organization that was commendable to me was when the first meeting, you know, there was a bunch of white people out at the meeting at the first meeting, and they told them that they had to leave. You know what I'm saying? They made all the white people leave the meeting um, with the Black Lives Matter uh, organization in Atlanta, the official one. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and I thought that was I thought that was commendable. Um, but then it just, like, and I would bring my people, because I, I never really had been part of any organization or anything. I always did. I led, I led a lot of protests. I led a lot of demonstrations but I've always done it independently from any organization. And, um, and to see, you know, how I bring my people out there and it would, you know, you have these tragedies going down, Mike Brown, everything like that. And it seemed like they were more focused on what's your pronoun and, and different things like that. Do you identify as a he, she, they, stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, um, and it's like, okay, uh, I mean, to me, Atlanta was a lot, a, a little bit differently. I, I've, I've been affiliated with a lot more, uh, like Max. I have been affiliated with a lot of um, Black Lives Matter organizations, um, you know, across the country, and they, and it seemed like they operated a little bit differently than the one in Atlanta, which, uh, which I, I, I really felt that there was like. Um, some sort of hidden hands in there, um, a lot of different things going on. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how I felt. But, yeah, there, there wasn't a central leader of Black Lives Matters, you know what I'm saying? There wasn't any person, even the founders weren't necessarily the leaders of the whole Black Lives Matter, you know, organization, you know what I'm saying? It was basically like a hashtag that people gravitated towards and that's what also made it dangerous. That's why it went into obscurity in 2016, because, you know, you have people like me that are more radical that are putting out Black Lives Matters hashtags for their, for, for their gatherings, and it's not, not going to be what's your pronoun happening out there. You know what I'm saying? So, right. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wary of like seeing this group that had come, that was basically went into obscurity in, in 2016, and to just jump back into prominence all of a sudden because of, of because of this event, 
um, or because of the whole George Floyd thing, it just it just raises to me it, if people are – it nobody's even batting the eye or raising a red flag about that, and that's just worrisome to me because it's just like, okay, you guys are just going to allow this group like it's 2015 again. You know what I'm saying? So it's like right. – it just, it just, it just, it just, uh, um, sus, uh, very. It, it, to me, it's suspect. You know, what I'm saying that's that's my thoughts on it. One of my experiences, things I've learned, is to deal with reality as it is and not as I would like it to be. So in this case, it is what it is. That's what they chose. That's what everybody's talking about. Uh, when that happened last time is when I started reaching out to the leadership, saying, "Look, can we talk about this thing?" And here's what we're about. And what about slavery abolition? And those people were very receptive. Moyadine was very receptive. Dolores was very receptive. Sharon was, Sharon was very receptive. Uh, Amari mm-hmm. Fox, very receptive. They all became abolitionists. So let's reach out to some of these leaders and see if we can explain to them that, A, you're missing a very big chunk of history here. And, B, you're also missing a very large part of a narrative. And because of that, you're skipping over crimes against humanity because you're not even aware that we're dealing with a crime against humanity. Uh, it's not a mistake. Crime, you don't think, you don't act towards them as you would if they were a mistake or an error in judgment or something that you can reform. You can't do that with crimes against humanity. Suddenly, all of those options right. have to come off the table because you're not going to fix slavery. You're not going to reform slavery. You're not going to make a better genocide. That doesn't happen. So your whole mindset changes when you become an abolitionist and accept the fact that we're dealing with crimes against humanity that are being done on purpose and targeting specific groups on purpose. And if you follow the money, you'll know like I know. I'm telling you, man. So, yeah, you know, it may have been some central issues with the Black Lives Matter organizations, but I have some faith in the individuals. And uh, I've been able to reach them before, uh, become great friends with them, and uh, know that they were trying to do the same damn thing I was trying to do. Facts. And that's that's exactly how um, I ended up um, dealing with them as well. I I had um, got individual people out there that were more uh, radical-minded, and, and more, you know, um, more progressive, you know what I'm saying? So I, I dealt with the individuals. Um, but as far as like, and I, and I don't, and I didn't have any problems with the organization as a whole, even in Atlanta, you know, even with both of the organizations, they did a lot of good work out there. Um, you know, just, it's just the fact that what I saw out there, especially cause I was there, I'm talking about, I was there on the first day, the first meeting, you know what I'm saying? I was there at the very first meeting of Black Lives Matters in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like I was on the first airing of Blog Talk Radio. Same thing, you know, right there at the birth of it all. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) Well, um, I don't want to... I'm just saying it. Say again? Oh, can you guys hear me good? I'm I'm on a different phone, so... Yes. Okay. Okay, but yeah, I, 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 that's how I feel about the organization, and I just feel like, um, you know, um, even though I think that you know the street crime and stuff like that is moving things in a in a in a progressive direction, it's still just symbolism. It's still absolutely just symbolism. 
and we gotta we gotta move away from symbolic gestures and get to quantifiable results. Quantifiable. You know what I'm saying? Uh, results no. that we can quantify. You know what I'm saying? Tell me how many people you're letting go of the jail right now. You know what I'm saying? The whole COVID thing and the protest thing mm-hmm. has been a, a, a perfect storm, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, I don't, you, I, I don't think any, we could have asked for a more perfect storm than that. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Well, thank you so for your input. To see that happening. Yeah, indeed. I, I really appreciate oh, no. you. But you want to say a little bit more before before we go to the next part? Well, you know, if you hear my voice, then you're part of the revolution. I host a blog talk radio show called Two Raw for TV. We air every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern time. As Max was saying, he was there on the first, very first uh, Two Raw for TV program um, on November 4th, 2010. And uh, we've been mentioned on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Uh, we've had guests like Charlemagne the God, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson. But we are an action-oriented, uh, conscious-based broadcast. And we air every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, blogtalkradio.com slash 2 raw for tv and that's spelled out T-W-O. Yep, T-W-O-R-A-W-F-O-U-R-T-V. And um, and um, also you could call in 516-453-9174. And if, uh, social media kicks us off all the time. That's another thing. Social media de-platforms us all the time. They've been doing that before. Um, um, before what's the, what's the guy's name? Uh, Alex Jones. They was they were deplatforming de- us before the Alex Jones thing. So um, you gotta hashtag hashtag the number two R A W the number four TV and all and any of your social media and you'll see exactly what we've been doing and exactly what sort of work we've been putting in the community. No doubt, brother. Thank you again. And all little stuff, man. I appreciate the right you, man. revolutionary. Huh? Would, I said I appreciate you, Max, and the work that you're putting in too. No doubt, brother. We much appreciate. I said it. I appreciate hey, I'm gonna you, Max. You, I'm gonna put you on the couch for a minute, all right? Okay, sounds good. All right, Yusuf. Uh, you want to follow up on any of that? Oh, well, first of all, let me say Alonzo has been trying to reach me uh, from uh, the prison right now, but he's trying to reach me video chat. And uh, it's just not possible to do this program and video chat. So if you can hear uh, my voice, Alonzo, or any of our callers from behind enemy lines, the number is 515-604-9814, 515-605-9814. Just press the number one on your keypad to let me know uh, that you have a comment or question. All right, there you have it. Yusuf? I'm sorry, Max. I had to step away for one second, but uh, uh, I see okay. we have an, uh, we we have another caller, or or they just a uh, listener. No, no, not yet, not yet. I was saying that Alonzo has been trying to reach me via video chat, but I can't do the call for the program and video chat at the same time. So I, I put the number out there in case you're listening, you can call in. Uh, oh, because okay. I see someone Alonzo. else on the board. You got the 504 area code? 504. Okay. Yeah, if you want to speak 504, just put your hand up, and that will show us that you want to say something. Press 1 on your dial pad, and that will let us know. 
Hey, it's just okay. Um, in the meantime, in the meantime, I have like a. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's it. In the meantime, so let's do the in the meantime. Talk. Well, there's there's a one minute and forty second clip that uh, you know, you were talking about the Alabama prisons earlier, and I came across a one minute and forty second clip, you know, as to. This this is what's in, what's what's uh, captioned on the clip. It says, okay. "Y'all not gonna pay attention." Sorry. No, I, I did said you say okay. something, Max? Oh, okay. No. It says, "Y'all not gonna pay attention till they hurt a CO or riot." But Alabama prisons are overcrowded, and some are just as deadly as California's was. People are taking programs, have clear records, and still not being released. So this brother in this one minute and 40 seconds mentions, you know, one of the reasons behind why they're not, uh, why, why they're not being released. So I want to play that real quick. Department of Corrections speak for all inmates of the Alabama Department of Corrections. October 2018, the governor K. Ivey issued a moratorium against all violent offenders being considered for parole. In the wake of a moratorium, Nan Hayes, the former chairman of partisan parole, reconsidered and rescinded hundreds of inmates already granted parole. From there, the parole winning rate dropped from 54% to 22%. The legislation went on to grant the governor more power over the parole board. And what did she do? Appoint its attorney general, retired Judge Charles Grant, a man that has shown throughout his judicial and political career that he diametrically opposed everything used to give inmates a second chance, especially the parole board. Since Grant was appointed, roughly 30 inmates might be considered on the three we'll make it. What does that do for an already overcrowded system? The Department of Justice did a thorough investigation dealing with the Department of Corrections and all the problems that emanate from an overcrowded system. Rape, murder, administrative brutality, and a sense of hopelessness. They held them in violation of our Eighth Amendment. That was over a year ago. The Department of Justice has failed us three months ago an inmate was beat to death at interest. A week ago, a man was killed at Elmore Correctional Facility and found NXA police just cut an inmate with a knife days ago. All the problems that held them in violation of our Eighth Amendment is just water under the bridge. Governor K.I.V. solution, new prison. The same K.I.V. that issued an arbitrary moratorium against inmates. The same Governor K.I.V. that has an innocent black man at home and executed. The same K.I.V. that's a known racist. We all know about her black face Jim Crow picture with her making a mockery of the black experience in America. The same K.I.V. that had Core City and GEO, private prison corporations, fund her gubernatorial election. And we can see why her only solution is new prisons. Amid the COVID pandemic, her solution for the overcrowded prison was body bags. And there you have it. You know, the brother. Can you hear me, Max? Okay, I wasn't sure if I was being heard or not. How did the video play out? Did it play out okay? No, uh, I was barely able to make heads or tails of it. I heard a few things, but it's okay. hard. Okay, I'm going to post it on the wall. Yeah, I'm going to post it okay. on our page. But what Woody was mentioning is the uh, the governor appointed the former attorney general to be the head of the Department of Corrections. And all of a sudden, people who were eligible for be- for parole and those who had already been Granted parole, but who hadn't been released yet? They were those uh, those uh, approvals were rescinded, and he was talking about some of the conditions that are going on. And of course, he mentioned the Sixth and Eighth Amendment, 
of the things that we've talked about in the past. And he also said, well, you know, many much of this is not surprising because, of course, Civic and GEO funded the governor's campaign. And, you know, it's kind of, well, not kind of, it is a conflict of interest when you have the attorney general who's responsible for the convictions of the people within the system, then to put that person in charge of the Department of Corrections where this person is now controlling who gets paroled or not. So you're responsible for locking them away, and then you you also get to control who gets released. So now people are being granted parole, but then they're getting rescinded. So now they're saying only three out of 30 people that are going are getting, so basically saying 10% of people only making their boards now, although they're going there with clean institutional histories. They've done all the programming that they were supposed to do. And so as it stated, you know, things are really boiling over down there and we know what happens. We know what happens when it reaches the breaking point. So this, this, uh, rebellion, protest, everything. It's happening on the streets, and it's also happening in the prisons. There are many voices like this, and when you see the video, you see the brother has a, you know, a state-issued uh, skull cap that he actually has on, like, a mask to cover up his identity, you know, and I have a couple of other videos like that that I may post up of people just speaking on the conditions that they're going through around the country. Prisons across America are full lockdown now, too, because of the protests. Not only the, the because of COVID, but also in addition to the protests. Um, and they're coming down hard on brothers like the one you're talking about now, like the one that's trying to reach me from Angola, uh, trying to reach the show, the brothers out in Alabama from Free Alabama Movement, uh, from Jailhouse Lawyers Street. They're coming down hard on them. You know, they're giving them years and years of time for social media posts. <laughs> like, literally gave a man 40-something years extra time for social media posts. Judge, jury, and execution all in the prison. No kind of jury or nothing went on. Whatever he was in there for, 44 years was added to it for social media posts. So they, and, they, and they're being brutalized. Uh, swift justice is off the map, but I really miss swift justice, man. I want to hear from uh, brother, uh, the brothers over there in uh, Parchment in Mississippi as well. Uh, and if you remember with kinetic justice, what did he spend three years in isolation for his organizing uh, in Alabama? And Alabama is that state where the prisons are at 300% occupancy in a, a couple of their prisons. Most of them are at 200% occupancy. There were human rights violations before COVID came along. And now we have a pandemic with these people packed together like sardines and nobody wants to free anybody because prisons are too big to fail and they need those prisoners in there. And everybody in the prisons has been portrayed as murderers or rapists. So if you let them go, they're going to kill your children and murder your mother. Uh, and so, right. you know, we, we have already shown you that most of the people who are in these prisons are in there for nonviolent, drug-related, or poverty-related crimes, not for murder and rape. Man. So I think we're at the part now we got to cover some of the stuff that we didn't get to cover during the program, and uh, then we'll do okay. our summation after that. 
So I know you got a couple articles that you want to hit on uh, before tonight. Yeah, uh, one of them, you know, for those who aren't aware, uh, two of the officers charged in George Floyd's death had only been on the job for four days. And this officer, the murderer, I should say, uh, Chauvin, was actually the one training training them. So what he was doing was his his way of training these officers. So Chauvin had been on the force for 19 years, and so this is his idea of what good policing is. So this is what he wanted to instill in the minds of these officers. And so I searched around on the Internet and come to find out one of these officers, Thomas Lane, actually had a criminal record. And it's an article that's going to be on the, on our page. It's entitled, One of the Officers Charged in George Floyd's Killing Was Hired Despite Having a Criminal Record and a Slew of Traffic Violations. And it lays out, you know, his history. And you're saying, well, wow, how did this guy even get to be a police officer? You know, so uh, let me go through the article just to point out some of the things that he had. Give me one second. Okay, so from 2001 to 2018, he racked up more than a dozen criminal charges and traffic citations. They showed that he was convicted of seven total charges. And it says, while the online court database doesn't include the incident reports behind the criminal complaints, it does indicate the nature of the charges and their results. Four of the charges were related to traffic violations, including speeding and obstructing traffic. Two were parking violations, but then he also had criminal charges. One was obstructing legal process, damaging property, unlawful assembly, how about that, and disorderly conduct. He was, conduct, he was convicted of one count of obstructing legal process and one charge of damaging property. So it's even funny here, this guy who's at the center of the case, He's charged with he had he was convicted of unlawful assembly and damaging property, and I thought that that was very ironic right there, just coming across that article. Mm-hmm. And the other one, the uh, and you and I both both posted this link. Uh, Fox News apologizes for a graphic showing stock market reactions to violence against black men. Yes. For those listening, you did hear that correctly. Right. Fox News put up a graphic, and I'm going to read what's on the graphic. It's This is what they're saying that the S&P 500, for those who aren't aware, Standard & Poor has an index of 500, you know, of the major companies. So the index of 500, that's what S&P 500 means. And the title is Percentage Change One Week After Event. So it's saying – the percentage the market changes one week after any event where it's a violence against a black man. So they have the MLK assassination, 2.9% change. Rodney King case acquittal, 1.2% change. Mike Brown death, 1.2% change. George Floyd death, 3.4% change in the stock market. And, you know, these, see, 
it's misleading because you're hearing, oh, 3.4%, that's no big deal. But that's really several hundred billions of dollars right there when you yep. look at how much stock is trading. So when you say a 3.4% change, you're talking several billion dollars right there. So they've even found a way to monetize it, to monetize the killing of black men. So, <laughs> you know, and, and so they say we apologize for the insensitivity of the image and take this issue seriously. They usual blah, 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 blah. You know, but we know Fox News, Fox News and its connection to the White House, and we know how the White, White House really thrives on the stock market. So this was definitely catering, catering directly towards him to say, well, look, there's a 3.4% uptick, because that's the language they use, 3.4% uptick in the market since George Floyd's death. Max? Uh, I expected, you know, we've documented here on this program where they find ways to turn any kind of protest or violence or death into uh, a profitable uh, resource. And, uh, but to hear it so cold-bloodedly come on a national news program and say, you know, every time we kill one of you Negroes, we make money on it. And here's where we make it, right on the stock market. Uh, it's horrible, dude. It is horrible. Well, I got some news things I want to cover, unless you had more to say, uh, I just wanted to cover those two because I know we're getting late in the program, so I said I'll just limit it to those two. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a speed run on mine, uh, just give you some quick headlines and uh, maybe an opinion. Uh, first of all, Juneteenth has been declared a state holiday in Pennsylvania. Uh, and that's wonderful, but you're not celebrating the end of slavery because the end of slavery didn't happen. And as we said before, and as I've talked with friends of mine who lead these Juneteenth organizations, we have got to find a way to start educating our people about the truth instead of keeping a lie going. So please keep that in mind. This year, during your Juneteenth festivals, if you're to attend one, mention modern slavery and human trafficking. Mention the millions of people behind bars incarcerated for the most ridiculous thing. Then uh, there's an article that came out from AFSC.org that said Quakers Quaker organization joins national call to defund the police. Well, that's all well and fine, but this show is sponsored by the Quaker organization Samer Urge. And Samer Urge is an abolitionist group. So while you're writing about people who are Quakers and are looking to defund the police, maybe you shouldn't write an article about Quakers who after 150 years are abolitionists again. Um, then there was this article, not an article, but a video that I, I suggest everybody see it if you really want to know about Joe Biden. And it's Joe Biden's bold thinking shredded civil liberty. And it's not somebody writing about him. It's him telling out his damn self. You'll hear it in his own words, uh, the most genocidal rhetoric that you could imagine coming out of this man's mouth. There's so much blood on his hands that a river could flow from what he's done. And the things he had, had admitted to uh, is just outrageous. Then the Breonna Taylor's case has been reopened, and that's very important. Um, secret recordings revealed that New York cops admitted to framing citizens. They got it all on tape. That's another thing you can find on our page. And then finally, Ahmaud Arbery, 
when he was struck, uh, he was struck by that car and chased for seven minutes before they murdered him. The man who did the videotaping apparently was the one hitting him. They had him running in circles as they hunted him like a wild freaking dog and finally killed him in public with a shotgun. So this news is just coming out, and that is off the charts. And here's my last, very last thing. A new study shows that 90% of American sheriffs are white. 90% of American sheriffs are white men. That is a problem, people. That's a problem, a real problem that is proof in itself of excessive racist environments uh, that are being heaped upon the people of this community, of this nation. How in the hell can you have 95% white prosecutors and expect justice in a court? How in the hell can you as a black person or anybody non-white have 90% of all American sheriffs be white men expect some kind of justice? It's ripe for racism. And as Yusuf was explaining earlier with when he was saying that they promote it. They'll take you out as a trainee and show you how it's done. They'll kill somebody on your first day so the rest of the stuff is easy. Let's get the killer out of the way first day. And that's some stuff is easy. We are dealing with a serious issue here, people, and it's called slavery and human trafficking, and it's not a damn mistake. You see? Amen, Max. Amen. All right, brother. You want to sum up this program <laughs> for this evening so we can get into our final segment? We only got just enough for a quick sum up and then to get into our final segment. Well, we want to summarize this. I think we've, I think we've made the case for the criminalization of protests. That if anyone doubts it, you know, we're definitely open to hear a rebuttal for it. But I think we've made the case that it is now, you know, criminal, and it's going to become more criminal. They're going to think of new ways. That's how they feed the machine. That's what that 13th Amendment exception clause is all about. You have to get more creative with what's actually denoted as a crime. Max? All right. Well, I guess that comes to our final comments for the evening or quotes, and then we're going to go into our last segment of the evening, which is the 12th installment of Bridging the Gap, and uh, it's pretty powerful tonight. It's it's almost eerie how Frederick Douglass's story, as we say week after week, mirrors the realities of today. Uh, so it's important that we pay attention to what's happening in his story because it's also happening in our story. All right, well, here's my quote for the evening. Let me say, also, a word in regard to the statements made by some of those connected with me. I hear it has been stated by some of them that I have induced them to join me, but the contrary is true. I do not say this to injure them, but as regretting their weaknesses. There is not one of them, but join me of his own accord, and the greater part of them at their own expense. A number of them I never saw and never had a word of conversation with till the day they came to me, and that was for the purposes that I have stated. Now I have done. John Brown's last words, 1859. 
Uh, I'm Max Parthas. I appreciate you being here with us every week, and I want to say thank you for being here tonight. Also, shout out to my brother, uh, Palmetto Star, for calling in. Uh, I'll see you next week right here on Abolition Today. Follow me at Max Parthas on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel at Abolition Today. Peace. Wow, that was heavy, Max. You know, and my final quote, Anytime you live in a society supposedly based upon law and it doesn't enforce its own laws because of the color of a man's skin happens to be wrong, then I say those people are justified to resort to any means necessary to bring about justice when the government can't give them justice. But when a black man strikes back, he's an extremist. He's supposed to sit passively and have no feelings, be nonviolent and love his enemies, no matter what kind of attack, be it verbal or otherwise, he's supposed to take. But if he stands up and in any way tries to defend himself, then he's an extremist. These are the words of Malcolm X at his speech at Oxford University Student Union Debate, December 1964. Uh, We'd like to give a shout out to our partners and sponsors the IMW Prison Advocacy Network, Jailhouse Lawyers. We don't have time. We only got just barely enough time for this clip, 10 minutes, and we got 10 minutes left. So we got to wrap it up. Okay, well, shout out to our sponsors. We're going to go into our last segment, Ozzie Davis Reads Frederick Douglass, Part 12. And it's going to be followed by a song entitled The Hidden Masters by the Sword. We'll be back June 14th. Until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Thank you for tuning in. Abolition. 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 During my first meeting with John Brown, he told me that he had long had a plan which would accomplish the abolition of the slave system. He called my attention to a map of the United States and pointed out to me the far-reaching Alleghenies, which stretch away from the borders of New York into the southern states. These mountains, he said, are the basis of my plan. God has given the strength of the hills to freedom. They were placed here for the emancipation of the Negro race. My plan is to take at first about 25 picked men and begin on a small scale, supply them with arms and ammunition, post them in squads of five on a line of 25 miles, the most persuasive and judicious of whom shall go down to the fields from time to time as opportunity offers and induce the slaves to join them, seeking and selecting the most reckless and daring. They would run off the slaves in large numbers, retain the brave and strong ones in the mountains, and send the weak and timid to the north by the Underground Railroad. His operations would be enlarged with increasing number and would not be confined to one locality. He further proposed to have a number of stations from the line of Pennsylvania to the Canadian border where such slaves as he might, through his men and used to run away, should be supplied with food and shelter and be forwarded from one station to another till they should reach a place of safety either in Canada or the northern states. Hating slavery as I did, and making its abolition the object of my life, I was ready to welcome any new mode of attack upon the slave system which gave any promise of success. I readily saw that this plan could be made very effective in rendering slave property in Maryland and Virginia valueless by rendering it insecure. Hence, I assented to this, John Brown's scheme or plan for running off the slaves. Late in September, 1859, John Brown wrote to me, informing me that a beginning in his work would soon be made, and that before going forward, he wanted to see me. 
and appointed an old stone quarry near Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, as our place of meeting. When I reached Chambersburg, we talked over the enterprise which was about to be undertaken. Captain Brown now declared that it was his settled purpose to take the Federal Armory at Harper's Ferry, and he wanted to know what I thought of it. I at once opposed the measure with all the arguments at my command. To me, such a measure would be fatal to running off slaves, as was the original plan, and fatal to all engaged in doing so. It would be an attack upon the federal government and would array the whole country against us. Our talk was long and earnest. We spent the most of Saturday and a part of Sunday in this debate, Brown for Harper's Ferry and I against it. He for striking a blow which would instantly rouse the country, and I for the policy of gradually and unaccountably drawing off the slaves to the mountains, as at first suggested and proposed by him. When I found that he had fully made up his mind and could not be dissuaded, I told him that his old plan was changed and that I could not go with him. In parting, he put his arms around me in a manner more than friendly and said, Come with me, Douglas. I will defend you with my life. I want you for a special purpose. When I strike, the bees will begin to swarm, and I shall want you to help hive them. But my discretion or my cowardice made me proof against the dear old man's eloquence. Perhaps it was something of both which determined my course. When about to leave, I asked Shields Green, a fugitive slave from South Carolina who had joined Brown, what he had decided to do, and was surprised by his coolly saying in his broken way, I believe I'll go with the old man. Here we separated, they to go to Harper's Ferry, I to Rochester. On the evening when the news came that John Brown had taken and was then holding the town of Harper's Ferry, I was speaking to a large audience in National Hall, Philadelphia. As I expected, the next day brought the news that with two or three men he had fortified and was holding a small engine house, but that he was surrounded by a body of Virginia militia who thus far had not ventured to capture the insurgents, but that escape was impossible. A few hours later, and word came that Colonel Robert E. Lee, with a company of United States troops, had made a breach in Captain Brown's fort and had captured him alive, though mortally wounded. His carpet bag had been secured, and it was found to contain numerous letters and documents which directly implicated me along with several others. This intelligence was soon followed by a telegram saying that we were all to be arrested. My friends urged me to move out of Philadelphia at once. I reached New York at night, still under the apprehension of arrest at any moment, and by devious means I finally reached Rochester in safety, but had been there but a few moments when I was informed that the governor of the state would certainly surrender me on a proper requisition from the governor of Virginia. My friends advised me to quit the country, which I did, going to Canada. From Canada, I sent a letter to the Rochester Democrat and American, in which, among other things, I wrote, I may be asked why I did not join John Brown, the noble old hero whose one right hand has shaken the foundation of the American Union, and whose ghost will haunt the bedchambers of all the born and unborn slaveholders of Virginia through all generations, filling them with alarm and consternation. My answer to this is, the tools to those who can use them. Let every man work for the abolition of slavery in his own way, 
I would help all and hinder none.